Hello and welcome to the Debug Log number 55. Today we have an awesome episode with Molly Prophet. She is the CEO and co-founder of Kerchunk Games, a really cool game studio based right here out of the Atlanta, Georgia area, just like we are. So we're a little biased, but that's okay. Uh, they're making it their mission at Kerchunk Games to empower women as players. And so we thought that was really cool and I thought it was a great opportunity to have her on the show to talk about their company and what they're doing and kind of the practical considerations about targeting women as players. And also just have a bigger discussion about women in game development, especially on the dev side and why it's so hard. You know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of women in the industry and why sometimes when they get in, why they leave. And that's because that's a big problem too. We had such a fun discussion with Molly, so this episode went a little longer than most of our interviews. So in the meantime, if you want to check out the Debug Lounge on Facebook, that's a cool Facebook group for all of the developers and stuff. We also have our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the debug log. Check that out if you want to support us. And also, Eduardo, Obina, and myself, Andrew, are going to unite next week. So stay tuned to uh, the debuglog.com, especially slash unite on there because... We're going to be doing some fun stuff and try to maybe do some video uh, updates, maybe some Facebook Live videos, maybe some daily recap videos. And we're going to record a bunch of interviews while we're there for the Debug Lounge video show and just for the podcast. So stay tuned to that and we'll try to, you know, let you know what's going on there. So, all right. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is the Debug Log, episode 55. Hello everyone, today we have a special guest. She is Molly Profit, CEO and co-founder of Care Chunk Games. Um, she's also a strategy consultant at Trust Interactive and IGDA Scholar Program Director. So it's an honor to have you in the show, Molly, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's an honor. And actually she's one of the listeners of the show, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, could you expand on like your background? So, how did you start in games and, and all that? So, our listeners um, know you can know you more. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, actually, I started in uh, film. I grew up on Music Row, and so I was really, really into film. And actually, went out west to study because um, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be in movies. And then the iPhone came out, and I realized that doing linear kind of stories was not where I wanted to be. Um, and also that the landscape was really changing for what entertainment was just like kind of when Napster came out, it really changed uh, the music industry. So I was like, wow, you know, the iPhone is going to change everything and I need to go into games. So I moved, I moved <laughs> to Atlanta um, and I had already been doing so much in entertainment, just kind of my whole, like ever since I was 16 and, and started, I actually started making websites when I was like 12. Um, and so I, in order to pay off those student loans, um, I started working in the games industry before I even graduated college. And I've been working in it uh, for, I guess, six years. It'll be six next year, I guess, in, in games in particular. Um, yeah, so that's, that's exciting. Are you originally from Atlanta? I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's oh, yeah, okay. you said that. Okay. Yeah, and then I went. I went out to New Mexico because you know how we have the tax credits in Georgia. They had um, like film credits in New Mexico, so that was a really good place to be at the time um, if you wanted to be in the the film industry. 
Now you can just stay here if you want to be in the TV yeah. industry <laughs> or yeah, film to too. Do, <laughs> yeah, games. If you want to do games or film or, or like any transmedia crossover, um, actually a lot of the the stuff I do for client work is is related to TV. So we'll make advert games for for different brands and stuff like that. Yeah, Very cool. so this is a good place too. <laughs> did you? Molly's um, background is similar to yours, uh, Andrew. Oh yeah, I yeah I did. I was a film geek. I still am. I did film stuff and went to film school for a little bit. Then I also, I was a graphic designer and web developer. I still am. Those things are those things too. But the, before I got into games, yeah. So did, did you say, so you got into it because it was exciting. Did you have a history of playing games or being into it when you were a kid? Oh yeah. It's weird though, because like I never, it was never put in front of me as like, this is a career you could pursue i guess because i was like i grew up on music row so i was like oh yeah you know that makes sense go go do right. music videos go make films um but but i you know i played world of warcraft the moment it came out i played um uh gosh a lot of Nin- super nintendo super mario was kind of my jam um a lot of board games and just i, I grew up playing games but it, it never hit me as a career opportunity really until the iphone came out which i that- i yeah I was just going to say that's like a that that's an interesting point you made there because I always say this and I don't think we say it enough that kids are dumb or not when I was a kid I was dumb <laughs> and, and, and well, you have a it's not so much dumb you have a perspective problem you know because you're you look at the things you consume and you're like oh those just fall out of the sky and I'm playing them and at some point the movie thing's easy to get into because and music because you see all these behind the scenes things. You see the, you know, you see all these special features. You see people making the movies. You see, you know, behind the music and you see these people making albums. And with games, it, I'm, I'm, I feel dumb enough to say that, that I was like 25 before I realized like, oh, I can make a game. That's pretty cool. I didn't even realize that was even a possibility, you know? So it's really sometimes you don't know what goes into it because you're not exposed to that at that age. Yeah. And we didn't have, um, I mean, I know like if you're really super lucky, you maybe got a programming class, but that was right. not something that was in front of me or an opportunity available. So I didn't know, you know, you could go learn programming. You could like, even colleges weren't really teaching game curriculum yet. Uh, most universities, but now, now you can go to university and be like, yeah, I want to major in video games. Um, and, and so it was really with the release of the iPhone, there were also all these kind of university programs popping up at the same time. I think NYU maybe had one that was earlier in USC, um, but I actually came to, come to SCAD, which had just started theirs at the time um, in Atlanta. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so I was like, oh, you can actually, you know, get a degree in this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's nice now. The, I, think, I feel like it's easier for students now because there's a defined path, a more defined path than there used to be. Yeah, because uh, at least what happened, like, in, in my case is that I wanted to make games, but in Cuba, you don't have, like, any degree or major in game development you just have uh, computer science or you can do uh, like designer like basically what's what's in here uh, SCAD so I was like okay let's go with programming <laughs> and uh, then when I came here I, I started in, in game development but, yeah it's, it's interesting because there were there was definitely computer science majors um and I wonder if that was more like if you wanted if you knew you wanted to program, it was very it was very defined. But if you were like, I want to work in art, it wasn't like there wasn't a, a link up between the artistic side of games and, and the programming side of games yet. So, Molly, um, from working in the game development industry as an employee, what triggered you your will to to start Kerchunk 
games? I would definitely say it was a lot of things. Um, one, <laughs> I mean, the first thing was the the landscape was changing. People were starting to talk about this is actually in t- 2013. Um, the number one reason to be hashtag. I don't know if y'all remember that, but um, there was a huge conversation going around about why women leave games or or why they stay in games. It first was like the number one reason was why. What's your number one reason for for leaving games? And um, that was changed into a more positive message, which is number one reason to be, which actually generated a series of uh, GDC panels that's been rerun every year. Um, and I I really wanted to explore games for women um, in 2013. But at the time, I was still working in it. It wasn't really something I could do yet. So I just I just kind of saved up uh, <laughs> saved up money. I mean, that's starting any business. You got to have some kind of way to bootstrap, even though we still bootstrap by taking client work. Having having a little bit to start with is very helpful, Um, especially, you know, when you're creating your LLC and stuff like that. So I guess I guess the primary thing was hearing people finally talk about women's issues made me want to start my own business and focus on them as a market, because while there's a lot of games that that uh, target different audiences, and we did have games like Candy Crush uh, coming out at the same time. I felt like there needed to be more games that really targeted and marketed towards women, and that there was an opportunity there. That's awesome. That's awesome because you know not only uh, women are a minority in game development; they are also a minority in technology in general. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, but there's they're half of all gamers now, which is insane. Right. Like like <laughs> yeah, right. Like, More than half the sense. population too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's interesting to me. I also feel like too our structures are really defined now. So while I say like we we make games that empower women as players, I'd love to get to a point where that's not a thing. Like right. there's just so yeah. many different kinds of games, and and it's not saying you know like we have to make games for women. It's like. Well, there's enough games out there where anyone can find whatever game that appeals to them. Do you have a aspiration? I like on just the, uh, cause that's like consumer focus and stuff. It, it, as an example, like you want to start this company and make these thing, make these games with that focus. Do you also hope that that trickles down into the, the behind the scenes into the dev side of it, you know, cause that's where we talk about, you know, they're not, there's not a lot of women in the field. In, in the original talks you talked about, you know, it's about women in the industry. So is that a kind of aspiration too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's interesting because there was this series of games called uh, um, for Rocket Movado, which is it's actually uh, a company that was bought out by Mattel um, later on, and I played every single one of them in the '90s. These were PC games, and it was it was basically the only game available, the only games available for PCs that targeted girls, because um, you would walk down the aisles at like Staples and stuff, and there just wasn't anything except like Barbie and Rocket. Um, and those games, I I realized probably had an impact on why I'm here today, but I never, I never really linked that up for a while or credited that. I would always think back to like world of Warcraft. Um, and, and it's funny how we consistently erase uh, women who make, make games, even, even just self-consciously because their, their games aren't promoted. So yeah, I hope it trickles down into, obviously we care about working with women. That's, that's really important. But for me, that's easier for me to do because I'm constantly surrounding myself with women. Um, I think it's a struggle for other companies. Because they they have to focus on uh, kind of reaching outside their group of friends, and they may have like a lot of male friends, and so right, yeah, yeah. I, I hope it trickles down. I just can't solve like everybody's problems, but anything I could do to kind of move the needle there, I'm happy to. <laughs> yep. 
Let's go. Um, so, Molly, why do you think... This is like a generic question, but um, uh, I think I should, I should ask it. Why do you think it's important uh, that for there to be more women in game development? I think so... I was just reading a great article the other day um, where they were actually saying if you have more more diverse team members, not just women, but women and minorities um, and people from different areas of the world, your your chances of your company actually doing financially better go up. And I, I think that's exactly the reason, like just, just from a pure business standpoint, the reason that there should be more women in game development is because you have a better chance at having a more successful business because you've got different perspectives. Um, it can save you from really bad PR nightmares. It can it can save you from a lot of problems. It can also help you generate additional revenue streams by having those perspectives on the, your team and opportunities maybe you didn't think were there because you just didn't think about them. So I think it's yeah, important for businesses. Yeah, I read an article as like Steve Gaynor at the Fulbright Company, the Gone Home Makers. Um, and I guess they're working to come out. He's talked about that before, I think, on Twitter and other places, or just in podcasts before. Because I says their their company's like four or five people, and like three. I mean, he's like one of the one only men on the team. I mean, he started the company, but he did that on purpose for the, not. I mean, for <laughs> profit reasons, but for that reason that it brings the the he's like uh, purposely trying to make it more diverse. So because he think that's that's what kind of invigorate the product and make it much more interesting, make it much more balanced and, you know, much more representative of the people that you're playing the game. Like you said, if half the people are of a certain group, then you're like, well, don't you want to make games that target everybody? Because that that's just not that's just like common sense. If you're trying to make a profit, you want to target more people. Yeah, or, yeah, or just like having that diverse portfolio. It's it's interesting. Um, the actual quote I found it. It's from an article by Rachel Thomas. It says a study of data from three hundred and sixty six companies found that ethnically diverse companies are thirty five percent more to perform well financially, and gender diverse companies are fifteen percent more likely to perform well financially. So it's not even just like a small amount. Wow. It's it's huge. Yeah, it numbers. is. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you you mentioned the game that you played and gave you a perspective in because that's something we don't think about, too. It's like it's like a chicken or the egg thing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. And I, I have another podcast called Digital Dads because I have a six year old daughter mm-hmm. and the other guy I have the podcast with. He has two daughters and a son. And we are both, you know, we we're trained as computer scientists in school. So we're programming and we talk. We've had a lot of guests on the show talking about uh, girls and coding at an early age and stuff like that. We had um. Uh, Jenna Chalmers, she's the game de- design director at Goldie Blocks now, I guess. Oh, cool. And she worked with Will Wright for like 10 years. She worked on Sims and all these other games. She's like a cool, she's an awesome like hero in that industry just because she was, she's an awesome game designer, but behind some big things. And she was talking, we talked to her a lot about this, this problem of modeling, right? So the idea that a lot of the reasons you don't have people in the field, and this works in any field, is that if you can't actually um, uh, picture yourself, like if you're not consuming a product in that industry and you don't picture yourself in that industry, you're just not going to go into it, right? So like the fact that you responded to a game that you connected with and that in turn made you think that you could be a part of that industry, you know? And I, I thought I think that discussion around that's fascinating because she's because she talks about it from a cool perspective because she has she doesn't have any daughter she has a son. And she talks about how on every side of this, just women in tech and women in uh, the game industry, how it 
how important it is to model behavior so everybody, like you said, doesn't think that's an issue, thinks it's the norm. So you have boys and girls growing up thinking, what are you talking about? Of course, there's, you know, of course it's 50-50 here. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal to them. So I, I like that point about as we get more and more, like, especially what you're doing, having more and more things that target people from different backgrounds, you're going to attract more people in 15 years into those fields. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the next generation has a serious advantage to what ours. I mean, your your daughter is coming into a world where there really are programs targeting girls to code. And there are, like, um, I worked on the game developer, Barbie, and that I can't believe that that actually became a, a reality this year. Right. That we can have a symbolic message to girls that are age six and, and say, you know, this is a job you can have. Cause right. it was it, not even just for women. It was being argued whether game development was a legitimate career to pursue. <laughs> that's um, true. Yeah. yeah. For years. Yeah. Like mom and dad would be like, Oh, you know, that's not a real job. Go get a real job. And so it's like, now we're, now we're at least dealing with the, the gender problem. Uh, and we're past that problem a little bit because you got to get past that one first. <laughs> No, I, I guess it's like uh, what I'm singing and acting was like many years ago where, yeah, you're never going to be a superstar, so eh, forget about it. Just try to be a doctor or a lawyer and you're going to be better. So it's similar to the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and as if those industries can't uh, coexist, too. I mean, there's a lot of crossover now between Games for Health and um, and uh, you can you can be a lawyer in games, too. So it's... <laughs> Well, that's what, no that's what, yeah, and that's one of the things exciting. That's what kind of drew me into it. I'm sure from you, from your diverse background and different fields. For me, from I went from film and I was in a band and did a lot of music stuff for a while, and I was in graphic design. Then I started getting into programming because of web development. And then I was like, and then I'm, I'm into writing and I write all the time. So I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> there's only one place you can combine all of those things, right? Exactly. And into, into something that it's just constantly challenging and constantly, uh, invigorating. And that's why it's such a neat, a neat field to get into because it, it can pull, it, going back to that question, bring a bunch of people in, it can pull from a swath of different skill sets. And once you really get into bigger companies, it's really neat how just the awesome people you have and the specialties you get there because it's, it's really impressive to see just the wide range. Like a valve has like an economist <laughs> on their staff, you know, stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've never, I've never worked on a team that's been larger than 30 people. So I'm interested to see how many hats people wear at kind of studios that have a hundred, 200 people. Um, I kind of like wearing a lot of hats. So the, yeah, we work at a place about 12 developers. So we wear all the hats <laughs> a lot of the time too. So. <laughs> like, oh, I was working on the website today. Uh, tomorrow I'm doing the gameplay logic. No, that's a, <laughs> that's exactly it. It's within the same day though. It's not different days. It's yeah. in the same <laughs> Well, that, that's what um, what I'm doing with uh, Fusion Game Studios. It's like I'm working on the website now. Like, oh, what I, what can I put in the about page? On oh, let me work in the in the VR game. And oh, so many things. It's so exciting. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yep. But I mean, it's a lot of fun if you like this type of stuff. Like, go for it. <laughs> yeah, small teams are wonderful for that. For yeah. sure. Uh, what can you talk real quick about um just for people that don't aren't you know aware of the Kerchunk and everything what what are some of the a little bit of the history of the company and what kind of how long you guys have been open and what kind of games have you that people might be able to you know see or have heard about download yeah yeah so there you go right and now, buy um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well actually so our our first game that we've launched is free to play so you can spend money if you want that would be awesome but you don't have to um you can play it on Facebook right now at facebook.com. dot 
slash uh, game slash Princenapped, P-R-I-N-C-E, napped, kind of like kidnapped, but just replace the first word. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a puzzle game to rescue a handsome prince. So if you've ever played any kind of unblock games, it's a freeform unblock game where you move pieces of a world, like a fantasy world around in order to get a prince from point A to point B. So we were trying to go against the, the motif of the rescue, rescue the princess motif and um, turn that's on its head a little bit. Um, so that you can play right now and it's live. We're working on our second IP together and then everyone on our team works on, on client projects. So those, uh, actually with Thrust, I've worked on a, on a social network recently called Who Do, which has also been recently released. Um, and I probably can't say a lot about that. I mean, it's live. You can definitely go play it, but I probably can't say a, a lot about that, uh, uh, publicly about where, where that's going, um, so far, because we were talking about some interesting things with that, but, um, that's a would you rather game. So, um, it would be like two celebrities. <laughs> yeah. Especially would you rather social network. So if you, right. you create your own and then send them to friends and, and that sort of stuff, we've got like 500 different people like Betty White in there. It's, uh, Stephen Colbert, just different people. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, so those those two things you play right now. But um, Prince Mapped is available on Facebook, and it's going to be available on iOS very, very soon. We're just fixing up some bugs, and then we'll submit it soon to the App Store. So we're excited about that. Very cool. Yeah. Let us know to um, and so let you're, us know you're, to promote it in the in the show. <laughs> yeah. What? Let us know when uh, you release it to sure, uh, mention sure. it in the show. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, and like, like, like I said, it's available on Facebook right now. So if, um, it, but it's soft launch, so we're not doing like heavy promotion on it. Um, that's more for when mobile happens. But you can definitely go play it, give us your opinions, <laughs> or rate it. Rating is great. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about. Um, so you're at, at Kerchunk. You're, I mean, you're the CEO and founder, but you're also, as far in the game discipline part, you're designer primarily. Or you said you wear a lot of hats, but what do you feel like? What do you identify as? <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, it's funny because like I, I at the end of the day, I still have to do QuickBooks. Um, right. But I, well, also, yeah. <laughs> I also get the engine. Yeah. Um, so I built Prince Snap right now is live with seventy five levels, but realistically, I've built I think about one hundred and twenty. Um, we scrap a lot of what we do because you know don't don't release a puzzle if it's not good. Um, so I built every single level in the game. We have separate gameplay programmers. We've actually had three different programmers work on that particular project because it was pretty complex. It's cross-platform social network enabled game, um, which means there's like this whole backend component where we have to save people's progress and that sort of stuff. Kind of like Candy Crush. Um, right. but yeah, uh, every single level in that game I built and that was very extremely time consuming. I also did all of the, like writing the scoring algorithms for that. I do a lot of systems design work, um, for clients as well as for for our business, because at the end of the day, like writing the scoring scoring algorithm could be done by programmers, but realistically, um, it's probably better to have a designer write it and then uh, if they edit it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, some, some programmers like to also be game designers, but I, I also work with some that are like, please just tell me what to do. Don't make me also design the game. Um, but that's you know, kind of depends on what your preference is and kind of where you fall. Yeah, I guess plan. that depends on the creativity of, of the programmer. There are people that just like back end and they don't have that uh like they just want requirements, that's all they want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And some some people would rather actually kind of uh, have influence over the direction of that too. So I kinda I work with different people on different projects and um I'll I'll maybe like First on my client work, for example, I'll, I'll write, uh, here's a draft of, of what the, the scoring is, and here's all the different data we need to use. Um, but they may go in and add their own pieces to it as well. 
So what? So it's so, so if it's if designer is the big thing and that kind of dream, is that what you studied at school? Yeah, primarily. Yeah, I did. So what? Yeah, so, I studied a little programming too, but um, and I actually like we just passed the Unity exam, which was pretty awesome. Um, but programming isn't something that I do very regularly. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what is it about game design specifically that kind of drew you there instead of into art or to programming uh, avenues? So I'm I'm really into mechanics. Like I love I love mm-hmm. doing math. I love living in the spreadsheets. Um, I like the reason I like 2D level design is like it it falls more into math. I haven't done a lot of 3D level design. Um, there's some crossover between 2D and 3D as far as that design goes. But you know, for example, MOBAs and, and things like that. That's not really right. where my skill sets falls. I'm more into the puzzle space. So I've worked on that type of stuff. Um, and mechanics are just really interesting to me. Also, you, user experience and UI work. I've done a lot of like screen flows and, and comps for, you know, where does this button go? And uh, what's the user sign up flow like? And what are all the problems yeah. that you have to answer with that? Uh, that's, that's like a lot of work. I think people who don't work in games don't realize it's like the user sign up account authentication piece is usually very time consuming to create. Um, well, you have to make all the decisions. That's what you don't realize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've done a lot of that. Like, uh, yeah. I've released 14 games and I think I've done um, a, a account authentication on several of them because of the cross cross platform is now something everybody's doing. So even if you use Facebook, for example, you still have to sometimes have also sign up with email and, and that sort of stuff. Gotcha. Molly, I'm, I'm curious. Um, so since, from the designer point of view, what do you have to have in mind to design a game targeting women? So it's just the colors or just to have a female like avatar as the main character? I think I think there's a, a spectrum of the different types of things that you can do with the game because you could focus on the visual aspect, um, but at the same time, some women really love pink and some don't like pink at all. So right. it's, it's kind of you know, you're going to only hit specific types of people in the same way that some guys like pink and some guys don't at all. And you just have to, to make sure you're targeting um, the demographic that you want to hit. So part of it's, part of it's the color scheme, but I think there's color schemes appeal to different kinds of people, not just women and men. Um, There's definitely a gender definition of blue and pink that we're all trying to kind of get away from and just, just, yeah, yeah, not say, you know, you don't have to love pink. Um, We think of the famous, that was that YouTube video, that little girl's like, why are all the boys toys there? And all the girls toys pink. And she's like freaking out. I don't know if you remember that. It's, she's my hero. That little girl. Yeah, exactly. Like it's part of, it's part of our logo, but that's because we're kind of like owning it. Right. right, Yeah. yeah. yeah, In the same way other brands do, but, uh, but yeah, so there's the visual aspect that at the end of the day, we put, we, we put our designs in front of women and was like, what do you think about this? Um, because even though we're women, that doesn't mean we're right in, in what we've done to approach a, a mass market. So we have to still test it. And that's what uh, soft launching does too. So we, we tested that. Um, we actually ran ads before we even developed a majority of the game with the comps to kind of make sure that we were getting good click-through rates based on the visual design of the product before we actually kind of went and built it out. Um, so that's one way to test like visual designs of something before spending a lot of effort on it with the specific demographic. Um, the other thing that we wanted to really do with our games was narratively kind of to look at the different stereotypes that target women. And it, when we use the word empower women as players, what we're really saying is we want to send positive messages to women through the narrative and the gameplay. So like you can be a hero, for example, or you're already one. Yeah. 
your already one is actually the bigger one for us because I think there's a lot of messaging around like you can be a hero or you can make games, but there's not enough messaging around women are already making games. Women are already heroes. Dads are already heroes. There's like, there's so many things that we're not doing just collectively in games to kind of support the people that are already doing, doing those things. So uh, y'all know that dragon cancer. Yeah. 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 So that's a good example for me of like a way to support, um, uh, people that are going going through, you know, parents that are going through through their child having cancer, and what they're doing is they're empowering pa- parents through that storyline. I think that that's really incredible. So for us, we're we're doing the same thing, but just not we're not targeting uh, parents who have children with cancer. We're targeting women. <laughs> well, that's interesting too, because like you talked about how at some point the goal, like, and that is the goal of, of all, you know, of diversity and in all, you know, races, gender, everything is just a, where it's not a big deal anymore. You know, once you actually do become post that kind of thing. And a lot of the times when that debate happens in the, like the AAA industry and that stuff, what people don't realize it's like, well, maybe it's not about like, you know, what, you know, like you said, like highly targeting, sometimes it's just about not catering to teenage boys. <laughs> how about you yeah. just cater to everybody? Like how not we have, you know, obscene proportions on women in games how about we not like you know objectify like how about we just instead you don't even have to do that much in the general industry to do this it's just (laughs) just not focus on 13 year old boys at that time you know or or sometimes just people just want to make a a game to communicate their feelings is the way uh like they talk to the masses and they want to make a game where they can communicate and a game that is uh fun so himself in a younger age would play like uh, the the artist in this game uh, Super Meat Boy. Like mm-hmm. that's what he wanted to make, like a game that his own uh, himself at twelve years old would play. Right. So I love that game. I, l- I also love that uh, uh, indie game, the movie, and their yeah. whole story behind that game. It's truly, truly great. Eduardo's fresh off that. I recommended it about two weeks ago when he watched <laughs> it, and he's like, <laughs> "So good, so good." Yeah. Close to home, I think, for a lot of people. <laughs> oh, they just released on Netflix. I don't know if you know where they released like the. They released that on Netflix, but there's also a two hour of just all the special features. It's awesome. Oh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. So it's check that out. It's pretty neat. I'll have to do that. So Molly, going back to the to the topic of women as game developers, uh, what advantages do you think that women have uh, when it comes to game development? Do you think they are more creative or something like that? No, uh, I don't. I don't think women are more creative. And the reason I had to say that because I I believe in gender equality, um, and so I, I'd like to think that all of us have different um, things that we excel at uh, as individuals. So I think I think to truly support a diverse team, um, you you staff it with diverse individuals who are highly skilled in different areas and who have a passion about different areas in the same way that, yeah, I do QuickBooks, but I also I also love to build all our levels and I do that. Um, and that's not because I'm a woman, that, a woman, that's because that's what I love. Um, I think teams have an advantage by having women on their team. So and, and that's because they have more more perspectives. Um so teams and teams have a, any team that has diverse individuals, whether that's people from different countries, different ethnicities um, and different genders have an advantage when they're trying to pursue anything. Just to give you a very clear example, um, one of the women who was our co-founder, she speaks Spanish and French. 
and we were uh, we were actually we released the game in soft launch in a couple of different markets just to kind of test those markets, and we were getting some feedback, and I didn't know any of it, and I was using Google Translate, but there's there's things that we could have reached out to a localization company to get that information, which would have been great, but we were, we're a small team. Just by having her, and her being from Switzerland and not from here, gave us that advantage to not have to go to a personal translator and say, I could tra- can you translate this for me? Um, we had brought someone who had a diverse perspective. And I think I think at the end of the day, it's just specifics like that that give people advantages. And the more, the more you have, no matter what your team size, you're going to be able to do more. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that um, point of um, diversity because that's one of the things that I see like constantly um, in the relationship between me and my wife. Like um, I'm always straight to the point and just focusing the goal and she's more into the details and hey yeah but just don't do like the game where you can go from here to here like add a couple of more things and this and that and like oh okay okay i like it (laughs) yeah and like maybe in turn like hearing her perspective you picked up on some of those cues and now can incorporate them into your next project i mean i think there's a lot of collaboration and sharing that can happen when you do have uh, a team with with these different perspectives. That's why, that's why I was hesitant to say they're, they're more creative because I think all of us contributing to each other and working together help elevate our creativity across yeah. the board. Creativity is not really a race. It's just everybody has a different perspective, you know, take on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So what do you, so we keep talking about this. What do you, um, I, I, like I said, I'm on the other show. I've talked about this a bunch in relation to my daughter and my co-host daughters, but what do you think the problem is? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there could be a lot of variables in this, but what do you think is one of the big things you could change to actually bring more women into just the industry, into like the dev side of it? So the, the biggest problem that I see is that companies will say, we don't know why women aren't applying for these jobs. We don't know why uh, there's just not enough applicants. There's It's a pipeline problem. It is not a pipeline right. problem. We are doing so much at an early level now. The fact that we're losing people is not a pipeline problem. It's very specific issues. You have to look at those specific issues at every, every step in it because Part of it, people always focus on, oh, when a girl becomes 13, which is like a terrifying moment in their life mm-hmm. is when they become 13. I'm sure as a father, you're like, oh, gosh, you know, yeah. it's going to come. I got, uh, <laughs> hold on. I got seven more years. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's scary because that's when you see the STEM drop off. So there's a lot of people who are working on that right. very specific moment in, in girls' lives. And they're not just looking at, uh, they're not just looking at, oh, what toys can we create and what uh, programs can we create? They're looking at uh actual studies. So um, one of the studies that Google did, uh, they realized that the biggest, the biggest thing you can do is provide a girl at a young age, a role model in her personal life, right. uh, like a parent who is facilitating that consistently to pursue the, those things. It, the it modeling, makes a huge yeah. difference. And I had that too. You know, I had, I had, I had someone, uh, um, my dad wasn't around, but my mom was very, very proactive in saying, you know, Take take math, you know, do math. It's important that you pass this. Um, You have to have someone there who's facilitating that, and they're working on that problem. But later on, and this is where it comes down to in in their careers and then in, like, returnship programs. Uh, I hate that word, but that's what people are calling it, um, where they're saying, like, women leave because they go to have children, and then they need to figure out a way to come back uh, as if invalidating the experience that they already had, which is is why I hate that (laughs) word. Um, (laughs) um, 
but it's it's not the number of applicants. People, companies that are successful at solving their diversity problems go out of their way to recruit women. They don't require women to come to them. They actually like go and hire recruiters and say, please help us get more women applicants. And they will build up their own networks in the same way that I've built up my network. I go to all the events. Um, they show up at events that already exist for women instead of saying, we're going to make our HR departments do all of this. Because HR, like, HR has a lot of women in it already. It's We're having trouble getting women programmers to stay right. in companies. Um, and they also, uh, they focus on expanding their network and making it more diverse instead of asking their friends to recommend people. Um, which, uh, which I totally get as a business owner, like you want to make sure that the person you're hiring is qualified for the job. So you're like, Hey friend, who have you worked with? And can you recommend me someone? Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's going to, it takes everyone at every step to say, I'm going to go out of my way to recommend a woman. for this." Well, that's true. Because if, if it's, ca- if it's a passive recommendation policy or casual like that, like just us as, you know, people like I have, you know, a pretty good proportion of women friends and men, you know, friends. But if I had to recommend somebody that I knew in the industry, like we work with primarily one woman on our 12 person team, right? Like, so it's like, well, I know a lot of women like friends, but it's like, how, if you're just doing that, like you're saying, you're just relying on recommendations. Like they're not, they're not recognizing the idea that it's a problem. Like if there was a, it was a full sample size and there was 50, 50 all around, that would work, but it doesn't work when, you know, they're actually, you can't actually find more results that way. It's hard too, and I totally get what you mean because um, there's there's pain, all kinds of pain points in businesses with the hiring process, and so they'll say, okay, well, let's ask that one woman on your team, ask her for right. a recommendation because she probably knows other women. It's like, all right, don't put more on her. Like, mm-hmm. like it's like uh, we have to like. Uh, I, I always say that we constantly ask women for free work, which is which is a huge problem. Um, so you have to like expand your network of women to get more on the team without using the women on it. It's not saying that you can't, you know, ask women on it to recommend other women. That's, that's one Avenue, but relying only on that Avenue is really catastrophic um, actually. And, and at bigger companies, this is, this is even more of a problem because they'll be like, Hey, woman, who's a programmer. Will you start the diversity program? Like, like she doesn't already have a job uh, at the company. Right. And now <laughs> no, she's asked to like, that's true. yeah. Uh, which is which is very different. I didn't mean to like use your example, but I, I was using it as a as a talking point in that like like statistically you're already doing better by having one in twelve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but like there's companies that uh, in, employ women full time that then go on top of their existing job, ask them to start their diversity initiatives, and it's like no, you need to hire a specific person for your diversity initiative and help them help them solve the problem because is, it's more you think that's laziness or just lack of perspective because i mean even because what i found a lot of companies you work for they, they just say all right we'll put out the put out the ad put out the thing and then you get a billion responses we did that for an intern and it was like 30 guys <laughs> you know what i mean so is it like that laziness of not even saying well this is important to us that we need to actually make the effort um i think uh, it's 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 more like lack of knowge about why it's important probably like, say, the more we can get point. these statistics out there saying like yeah financially you'll do better like they haven't seen that proof um there's bis- businesses when they get a taste of that proof usually will expand on it and be like oh yeah you know that was worth putting money into we should we should do that but if you don't if you don't have that proof yet that having a more diverse team uh is financially helped your business it's hard to mm-hmm. then want to go invest um money into it um so I think I think that's one issue, and then the other issue is that it's hard, and people also assume that they know how to solve the problem. Because like like people will sit, 
they're very set in that they think it's a pipeline problem because they're looking at their metrics of enough women just didn't apply instead of being like, they didn't apply for a reason. And it's because they can't see themselves there. They look at your, like, I'll go to a business's website and I'll look at their like team page and I'll see all dudes and I'll be like, Oh, that's going to suck. Like literally, <laughs> like, and I know I'm not the only one that has done that. And I have my own business now, but like, I, I still will, will look at it. Cause I'll have women ask me all the time, like, Hey, do you know where there's a good place to work? And, and can you recommend places to me? And I'll have to like do the research and be like, okay, what's a safe space to recommend her to go. Um, and that's really hard too, because I don't want, uh, I don't want to say anything about specific companies in that regard, but um, changing your image is really hard to do with, with, uh, with that. It's part of, part of it's how do you look to a prospective applicant? And then um, if that's a problem, if you can't change that, cause your team is all dudes and that's what your team picture looks like, then you have to go out of your way and you literally need to go on LinkedIn message people yourselves as like the the programming lead of the company and be like look I really think you should apply for this job and and flat out say that like it takes a lot more personal effort at that point so well that that's an interesting that's an interesting tie into like it could be a second part of that question because you mentioned the article about why women leave the industry like once they're there like what what are the aspects of the factors that tie into them not coming back or them getting sick of it's like just mainly a culture thing. Um, yeah. And, and to extrapolate on that a little bit, I think part of it is some of the same re- reasons men do. So, so um, ownership is a big piece. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, you see a lot of people create their own businesses because they didn't feel like they had enough ownership over the product. Um, that's, that's a huge problem uh, just across the board in games. It's like, how do you, how do you have good leaders and good management and teams that get that feeling that, a lot of people feel um, is usually compounded in women. So they'll have, for example, they'll do work and have credit taken away from them afterwards. So not only will they not get ownership of what they've done, they literally won't be credited on the product um, or they won't be credited internally to their team, things like that. Um, and that, that can, again, that can happen to, to men too. Uh, I just see it happen a lot for women and women write about it a lot. Um, right. They also don't get paid as much. That's, that's a pretty, pretty it's a national problem to across all industries. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, paid as much for the same job. Um, uh, that's, that's actually a big one. And, and I realize, I realize that that may seem hard to fix, but I, I feel like the appropriate thing to do is just to do the right thing from the beginning. If you can there, um, know what you want to pay for that salary position and don't try to go lower just because you think this person is, potentially less qualified it's weird to say that but there's a lot of subliminal stuff going on there often with that where it's it's kind of uh, unconscious bias they're thinking someone's unqualified because they're a woman but they're not realizing that that's why they're thinking that well that's why it's so hard to fight like yeah that's like that's the thing i mean that's the biggest issue of bias or racial bias or gender bias in the country but even when we've talked about women in program women in tech fields too it's like and then once they get there, some it can be a horrible situation where it's overtly <laughs> a negative, you know, offensive situation. But a lot of the times, especially when it forms people's opinions, it's so subtle, right? Like it's so subtle with like the grandmother encouraging people, like you shouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? You know, where it's very, very like I have personal experience of this. You know, like people telling my daughter to do certain things, like don't tell her that. What are you talking about? You know, and it's very because you have generational gaps in understanding of these things, and it's such a 
it's you got to be vigilant and it's weird if you don't have the perspective and you're not always if i wasn't such a hawk with my daughter about those things i wouldn't notice it you know i would just yeah yeah and she would might be slowly you know like led away from things she could do or think or possible to do because it's 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 insidious how subtle it is and how it can go unnoticed yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because I do think there's a lot of allies, too, who, who try to help women, but then they don't realize that maybe something they had done was kind of not helping them at all. Overzealous. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, uh, just, to, just to give you an example, there was someone I wrote a recommendation for. She now works at works at Riot. Um, this this actually, the recommendation she got was from another woman, so it was interesting to me. But I, I know the technical challenges that women are up against in interviews where they're going to be asked a bunch of uh, things about their technical background and history, and they may be able to answer those fine. But in a recommendation, I will go out of my way if I've worked with someone to highlight their technical competencies um, for a job. So even if that job's not, if it's in tech, even if that job isn't, uh, if it's part creative and part technical, I will make sure to highlight, these are the things that this person did for me that was like, a programming thing or setting up computers or something like that, because I know that that that's where they're going to be judged more harshly. It's kind of weird, I guess. Right. Right. Um, right. But I'll know people, but other people on the other hand, they'll say they'll highlight their creative abilities. And, and it's, it's tricky because depending on the job, you may want to highlight those things, but I think people automatically assume, and, and this is actually the reverse happens with men. They'll think that men aren't creative enough. You know, they, they can't be a good artist. Right. What? So, yeah, I mean, no. I've seen like gender discrimination. Uh, like, Eduardo was offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, if you look at a, uh, if you're looking at someone who's like getting hired for an art position, and you have like a man and a woman, sometimes the gender discrimination will actually go the other direction for that one because because they'll assume that men can't be as good of artists or as creative. There's like this assumption that women are more creative. Right. It's, yeah. again i feel like all these a lot of the this is like you said like my daughter's generation that stuff it's it's so hard because these things are like they go on these five-year leaps right you know what i mean where it's because everybody's understanding and it it sometimes and i'm this isn't downplaying this stuff but sometimes because it it only comes on the backs of us actually trying you know to be aware of it and to you know put some intention into that problem but (laughs) you have the kids now they grow up like what do you mean what's the problem what are you talking about? <laughs> this is a problem. You're like, no, oh my God, you don't even understand. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you only knew. Good a little bit, yeah. It's, it's really good. It's actually right. good. It's perfectly good. I mean, cause you, the whole point of this is then to not even be aware of any kind of differences. You know, they, they play with anybody, they do what, you know, what they want to, and they don't think about that division or difference between any kind of division we, we think of as that, but it, it kind of, it, it, in one time you're never going to get thanks for that from your kids. Cause you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not aware okay. of it and that was my goal but nobody you can't thank me that, that's just my side uh, <laughs> I will thank you Andrew I will yeah. thank you <laughs> maybe, so, maybe in like you know 30 years they'll call and yeah. be like I realize how much you did for me yeah oh and, and oh, yeah that, that'll be yeah I'll, I'll, I won't hold on to that as much we'll see <laughs> I, I like what you said too there because that's a big thing that comes in parenting too is just that overzealousness because even when I say that I'm trying to it's not about pushing then because even when we talk about women and like it doesn't mean that 100% of women need to go into tech <laughs> you know 100% of men don't go into tech right and so sometimes that it can go on it can fall that it can fall on the other side of that where people are too overzealous and they push their daughters whoever into that it's like it's not about that it's just about possibilities being open to anybody that the, the, the playing field is level so 
that's why it's such a weird, hard problem. If you have no kind of subtlety in how you're handling it or just how you're looking at it, it's like you can understand why that problem is such a rampant thing because most people don't care. And it honestly, you know, they're just concerned with what they're doing that day and going to lunch and, you know, but I don't yeah, know. Absolutely. So. Cool, guys. Um, before we ask our um, last question, uh, I have two questions here from one of the, our friends on the Debug Lounge, Aubrey Killian. Um, so he wants to know, and this is, I, I think it's a kind of personal question, but um, if, you, if you don't want to answer, that's okay, uh, um, Molly. So he says, how has the whole Gamergate debacle affected your work life in terms of respect or attitude to or from coworkers? Oh, that's interesting. So for when that first started happening, it was really sad. Like just in general, like I was really, really sad because I knew that something, the, the landscape for women was about to change. And for some women, it was going to be very, truly awful. And it was, right. um, there were women who, and, and men actually, men that supported them who had, I think Phil Fish had his Dropbox box account um, hacked and all of his yeah, documents they went posted. After, um, they went after Tim Schafer too. Just like, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, that's just awful. That's awful to experience anyway. And I think there are people who've had to experience that outside of Gamergate. Just if you're a high profile person, sometimes you, you uh, go through things that you have to, to handle like that. Um, so at first it was very, very sad. Um, and all of us were really paranoid, especially me. That's when about when I was starting my business. I actually started my business um, yeah. seven months before that happened or six months before that happened. So we were well, well on our way into development. And I was like, okay, what is it going to be like launching? We we're actually going to run a Kickstarter. We did not run a Kickstarter. Um, there was there was a question about whether that would – obviously, Kickstarter is really kind of already a little risky place to be in financially. You don't know if it's going to take off or that sort of stuff. But um, we, we prepared for this whole Kickstarter, and then we did not launch it because we decided, well, we're just going to save money and develop it ourselves. Um, and that worked. And there were other – choices that influence that. I don't want to say Gamergate is the reason we didn't launch our Kickstarter, but I do want to say that there were things we were thinking about in relation to that that really, truly terrified us about doing it. Consideration, yeah, at least. <laughs> yeah. That's not ultimately why we didn't do it, because I would never let them win like that. There you um, go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but um, I think that it changes your preparedness. It changes kind of how you you approach different things when you realize that there are going to be these highly critical people on the internet who have infinite amounts of time somehow to go out of their way to make fake shit about people. <laughs> like I, it's, well, it's, a, but it's also but. at that time is so shocking. Like it, it's so shocking. This always happens. Political times. It's so shocking when you have people screaming on another side, like what they think are insults. And you're like, yeah, I agree with that. Is that you're like is that bad? What do you mean? Like you know, like these the SJW and all that stuff. It's like yeah, why is that a bad thing? I don't even know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't. And yeah, it should have been a it. <laughs> it should have been a precursor for us in this election time and all this stuff. It's like a, what's going on? It it really is a it primed the works. So like we should have seen all this stuff coming because of that. I think. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. It's being like I like cake and someone being really pissed off at you for liking cake. That's that's like, like you like cake. Level. It's like insult. You like cake. It's like yeah, I do. Is that a problem? You're like of course yeah. it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a good person. Yeah. I'm I'm a good person. I believe in equality. Like that's uh, it's crazy to me that that it it's it came to that. Um, it's really horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean I've I've always preferred to work more behind the scenes and making big changes happen. So I just kind of. I collected everything I can about what was going on. And I used that to make some major things happen um, in the next year. 
And I think people don't realize that it, there's there's different types of people who work at these issues. There are people who are really public who say, you know, uh, these gamer gators, they're horrible people. Um, and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't right. know social issues at all. Uh, that's, that's the biggest problem is that a lot of them are just extremely uneducated. Um, and, and, uh, that's, that's one aspect of it. And then there's other, uh, other people like me who, who happen to have enough connections to go make some big things happen that can change that landscape for a positive, more, more positive place. I mean, I, I wasn't like... I retweeted a lot of articles to support people and things like that. Um, I didn't go into 4chan and try to make, you know, chaos happen. Yeah, I don't, yeah. feel, I didn't feel like that was going to be effective. Um, so I think all of us kind of did different things to combat that movement. And I'm really glad it's, it's not as bad as it was, but unfortunately there are still people who are, who are kind of into that scene. And uh, well, it, it transformed to something else. I think <laughs> now, yeah, uh, <laughs> now it has a different name for- now, but <laughs> For what I hear, you didn't uh, like uh, experience any rejection or, or in any kind from your coworkers. Um, not for my business, but I did. A lot of my colleagues did, and uh, and I actually did have some nasty tweets, um, um, kind of that's... on some of my other Twitter accounts. But they weren't. They were just really misinformed more than anything. I mean, it wasn't like. Um, People didn't go try to, I guess, dox me. Uh, it's not something, I, I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying it couldn't still happen. I just, um, uh, yeah. That's well, that's a, that's the thing. I, I talked about this a lot before and other things. Like, that's a big, because I, I, most of these times, I don't even think these, the, these weird hate movements on the internet are even about the freaking issues that they're talking about. It's just about hate. Like time to that article about how this is ruining the internet, you know, and how it's growing and it's grown the past nine months <laughs> over this election and all this stuff. So it's like, it, it, it just, it, that's a big problem and it's not going to go away when this is over. I mean, it, it settled down with the Gamergate because there's just nothing to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, how, yeah, how do you feel about that? Like, how, what do you think just settled it down? Just people just stop talking about it? People stop talking about it. You yeah. don't give, you don't feed the beast. Like that's, Right. That was the big thing for me is like, I preferred, like, I was like, I'm going to go make a, I'm going to go work with Barbie. Like, don't, I, instead of feeding the beast, I said, what can we do that drowns out this noise so much that, that, that nobody cares about this anymore? And that, I, I think I, that, I would, that's what I do in, in discussions. Like, if, if I did, like, in my personal uh, life, if I'm um, going to get into a discussion with someone and I don't care, like, okay, do whatever you say. And, yeah. Well, and that's, and that's yeah. also the biggest thing in the end, I, what I feel for just in, in general hate, because like, one, like you said, you're not feeding the beast and you're not talking about it. So if you're not engaging, you're not conflict, hitting conflict with people. But also, like you said, these all people that engage in this type of stuff are so educated, just they don't have a perspective. You don't know their, you know, what their situation is. So, and in a way, you don't feel sorry for them, but you do. I mean, if you're going to be tried, like the only way to solve this is try to understand those groups of people that feel aggrieved by nothing. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> so, but once they see positive examples of people like, well, whatever, we're going to enjoy our life and we're going to do these things that we think are positive and we're going to stand up for it. We're not going to get into this with you. I'm not saying all of them, but you're going to catch some of those people going, wait a second, maybe that actually is a better way. You know, I mean, that's, that's an idealistic way, but that's the only thing you can do. I don't think you can fight it with direct conflict. It just makes it worse. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I will say, too, there were some women on the front lines there who got their careers obliterated. And I, right. I think that is truly awful. Um, and we 
all of us owe a lot to them for bringing the issues to light and, and kind of throwing themselves under the bus and taking that right. line of fire. Cause my work would not be possible without them to, to be honest. Like I, I think it's incredible. Um, what Zoe Quinn had to deal with, like, right. No one should have to deal with that. Nobody. So, um, I hope everybody remembers that no yeah. one should have to deal with that. A human being shouldn't have to deal with the shit that she had to go through. Yeah, and it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be an ongoing issue. It's just going to shift from issue to issue. After this election, it'll be something else. It'll be they're mad at laundry mats yep. or something. You know what I mean? And that's become a racial issue and a gender issue at that point. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, so yeah, that's a problem for technology, but yeah, it's pretty shitty. I think. Anyways, so. All right, change the subject. Moving on, moving right? on. Yeah, enough hate. Positive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, we have a first tonight on the show at this part in the program. We have a sponsor. That's right. Uh, we're going to start a new thing over the next few months and start putting in sponsors when people are uh, kind enough to host us because we got to pay for bandwidth. we got to pay for hosting costs and all that stuff. Zach's got to play Destiny. He's got to buy all the expansions. I'm just kidding. None of this money goes to that. But it does help us bring this show to you every week. That being said, our first sponsor is KN Air Filters. K&N automotive and motorcycle replacement air filters are designed to increase horsepower and acceleration while providing outstanding engine protection. The simple-to-install air filter is backed by the K&N Million Mile Limited Warranty and will be the last air filter your vehicle will ever need. Go to kninfilters.com slash podcast and get a great deal on a K&N replacement air filter with free shipping. And as a bonus, you also get a free K&N hat. So that's pretty cool. So if you need your car buff, car nut, or you need air filtered, go check that out. We want to thank ANN for sponsoring the show. So uh, the the second question from Aubrey was, uh, the tech, not just game development industry, has been um, largely male-dominated for a very long time. Why do you believe women find it difficult and challenging to enter the world of game development in this day and age? I don't, oh, why do they find it challenging? Well, part... Okay, I will I will say that there are a lot more resources readily available now than there used to be, so I'm really excited about that because now if you want to learn to make games, it may seem really challenging and daunting, but you can basically learn to make them for free because right. Unity is free. So um, I kind of like I'm spinning that question a little bit and, and saying like, here are the resources that do make it easy. I don't want people to think – I want people to understand that making great games and complex games is hard because I don't want to undervalue the work that we do. It's hard. But – it's not unapproachable and not um, impossible. That's Everyone a good point too. Me. Like if you like, uh, what you I guess uh, I I think that's really interesting because it feels like that's as if if you as you break down more and more barriers of entry to that, mm-hmm. you almost sometimes you might get a natural equalizing right. If everybody has an equal chance and like where it's it doesn't take so much effort and so much weird predetermined interest in some field. It's like oh anybody can go that could look kind of interesting. I'll, I'll check that out. That it feels like you could help that could actually help bring i mean all sorts of people into the field absolutely um and and so i do want to emphasize that that uh i think a lot of women think that it's 
harder to do than it is. And they're constantly beating themselves up and, and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I just want to say that, yes, you can. Um, there, are, there are resources out there. They are free. Um, you can learn. There are groups to join. Um, join the IGDA. Uh, join. Uh, there's actually a lot of student groups. There's um, uh, lots of girl, uh, Girls Who Code. Black Girls Code is a great organization yeah. um, as well. Um, and, yeah, there's there's a lot of resources out there. If you just type in Girls and code you will yeah. you can learn to make games we talked to somebody um, from girls who could too about that that they have so many summer camps and after school programs for that kind of thing yep, yep. and, and also actually too, there's programs too also too i like what you said it's like i can't do this like welcome to game development <laughs> because yeah, that's what you need yeah. to express to more people it's like what you're doing right now you've just become a game developer <laughs> because i i fluctuate between two states we always joke about this it's between what am i doing i can't do this and like i'm a genius like within one day like <laughs> so but you spend yeah. most of your time in that i'm an idiot what am i doing i can't do this so that's that's part of that kind of the learning process of just yeah no you're you're, you're actually succeeding just keep doing it and you're succeeding you know. That's actually a really good point. That's the two states of especially yeah. being a programmer is uh, or building anything. I feel like even as an artist, you're like, I'm going to move this thing around on the screen for the next right. hour and maybe I'll finally get to the thing that I want it to be. <laughs> yeah, um, that- or I'm going to work on these details. You know, it's like you're in that perpetual state of this is hard. And then you're brilliant. Right. That, I've done it. I'm a genius. What, 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 what do you what do you, what do you say, Dorto? <laughs> Oh man, Hulk smash! <laughs> he says, if you work with the door, every now and then it's quiet and goes, Hulk smash! And he just screams, like, what? And he's like, nothing, never mind. I, I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that second feeling is the best feeling in the world right. and why so many of us make games. Right. Once you've figured it out, it's just, you gotta get there and believe that you can get there. Right. Yeah, I also, I also wanted to say that I love um, the point that you made about uh, making games that is totally possible. But it's true that making games is not difficult. Making good games, it is difficult. Yes. So. Yes. Polished experiences or, or complex experiences with lots of characters and all of that. Just, it's a spectrum of complexity. And, but that, that shouldn't prevent you from wanting to learn. But it ramps up. Try. It's like the perfect game. Yeah. It's easy to learn, hard to master. That's the whole thing, you know. So, yeah, I, w- I was going to ask her last question, but... Uh, kind of answered it. Already. Yeah. yeah, she answered it. She was like... Oh, About advice. my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. was it like, where can I go to learn? To well, yeah, it's just advice come, people coming in or especially women coming into the industry, what they can do, yeah. Yeah, I like I like these motivational like questions at the end and all that. I was uh, I was going to ask you like what would you say to some to uh, those women that want to enter the game development industry but are stopped by fears, insecurity, or or other people's comments? And yeah, you nailed it. Just ignore those people. Yeah, they're not worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you have to. You once you put stuff out into the world, that's the one lesson you have to learn. Just don't engage. Move on. Yeah. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ever onwards. Yep. <laughs> All right. Cool. So, is there anything you want to plug? I know you have your. You guys probably have Twitters and Facebooks and stuff. Oh yeah. Um. More than anything, just go play our game. Uh, Prince snapped on Facebook. I know I've said it already. So just no, you know, good. play it, rate it. We can't tell you to rate it five stars, but you know, rate it, and uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's what I always. We always say in the podcast: if you like it, rate it. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's a like subtle it, way of getting past. <laughs> Send us an email if you don't like it. We'll try to look at that email. Then. Yeah, Not to us, to Zach. Yeah, yeah. Please 
please send us an email if you yeah. don't like it. Constructive <laughs> criticism is what we welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you very much, Molly. Thank you so much. So, okay, guys. Until the next one. Bye.